Rock and Roll Grad School with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poland. Wherever you go, whatever you do, they will be right here waiting for you. So we should talk about Holly. We should talk about Holly. Hello, kitties. We're going to have a good time together. Or should we say we're going to have the best time together? <gasps> Look at that. Synergy. I know, because we're a bunch of warriors. Mm-hmm. And love is a battlefield. Yes. Yes, it is. And soul touch. There's so much more. Yeah. We, we could talking. if we if we really go down this path, we'll never actually get to the episode. That's true. So that's why I stopped us after three. No, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Plus, I couldn't remember the title of the Hollow Note song. It's Soul Touch, right? It's okay. Okay. We are talking with Holly Knight songwriter i think we can say extraordinaire uh, I, feel yes. like I always say that and it's sort of a little bit of a like uh no she you know. is awesome these are well were well earned uh accolades uh yeah she's written some of the greatest songs of all time yes many many of many the songs and a and a lovely memoir to boot really lovely memoir different than a lot of other memoirs Yes, indeed. So I've got a question, and I I feel bad talking about this, but I feel like we need to go over this in great depth. Okay. Um, I love you too. Yes. The band. The band. Yes, because I didn't say I love you. Yes, right. Yes. As as do I. I, Where are we going with? I have seen them multiple times. Every single show walk out feeling like you know we talk about the kind of experience live where you there's something special going on in that room Mm -hmm. uh i have not read bono's book but you speak very highly of it and him i do yes have you heard this new single oh no okay so they are doing an album i'm sorry a a double album yes i know that more sort of stripped down, almost dare one say, acoustic versions of some of their greatest songs. Mm-hmm. They've released Pride in the Name of Love as the first single, which makes complete sense. Of course, yes. So on the good side, they have, Bono has gone back and corrected the lyric. Good. So now it is early evening, April 4th, that shot rings up. Yes. So it's it's correct, which one you want to be like, how come it took you 30 some uh, years to correct? Uh, but yeah. Beggars, choosers, what have you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hold reservation until I hear the whole album. However, off the strength of this single, right now it sounds like the world's most expensive in-store. Oh, dear. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to love it. I love that song. Hearing that played live is something unbelievable. Um, like many of their songs, but that one in particular, if that doesn't bring oh. a, a tear to your eye and a yeah, sure. pattern in your heart, you're dead inside. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it did not, it did not Do you think it's resonate. Be- because of those things? Do you think it's because of, sometimes mm. I, I am a big believer of if it's not broke, don't fix it. True. And yes, I did just say it the way they say it in Beauty and the Beast. And I realized that. Um, I think that fits for the show. It does. But and so um, much of their catalog, you could argue, is not Baroque. Yes, <laughs> in all senses of the word. Yeah. Although they are not, um, you know, it's not 
impossible to do even more amazing versions of their songs. Like when Mary J. Blige jumped in on one, mm-hmm. I would argue that made that song even more amazing. I agree or disagree, but I see where you're coming I from. I just, I love that version. Um, but I... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. And it's not to slight if I was at that in-store. Well, of course, we would think it was the greatest experience right. ever. And, and if I was, I, I think in the room, in the moment, these songs would be amazing at this mm-hmm. arrangement. The mm-hmm. stuff Bono's been doing. I haven't listened to any of the recordings, but I believe there's a string quartet involved. There's a yes. bunch of cool things happening. There is. And I'm sure when good. I see him. It I will, will be, but, be but, expecting a full report. Oh, yeah. You'll be getting the play by play through the whole thing. And the few like I saw his him do um, with or without you on Colbert. So I've seen like a couple. Okay. Right. And I see how it And were you with or without him on that one? I, no, it was great. You were with him. Okay. Yeah, I was with him. But he also is doing it very storyteller, very much him as part, you know, it's him, mm-hmm. him. So it's just him, but their songs, but him. I kind of feel like maybe we keep that with the Bono book tour. Mm, yeah. Maybe that's it, but I haven't heard it yet. So I, I may listen and go, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. So. Right. But I'm going to probably agree with you because we do actually agree on most of these things. I will say one thing, though. I, whether or not I'd listen to it a few more times and change my opinion, it's not the best. Well, what is? How long have you been thinking about writing this all down? Um, you know, it's interesting because I first have to preface that by saying that uh, I dedicated the book to anyone who's ever had a dream and was told no. So the reason I bring that up is because I want to say maybe five years ago, I um, started writing the book and I submitted it to a person that represented uh, authors. Mm-hmm. And she got back to me and she said, you know, it's a really great, it's well written, it's great. It was only a few pages of different chapters. And she said, uh, but you're not a household name and I won't be able to get you a book deal. I just don't, you know. So I listened to her and I shelved it for like a couple of years. I just put that dream aside and and here I am. I'm in the Songwriting Hall of Fame. I've written hit after hit. You've done all right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, done all right. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, it was debilitating. I actually listened to this person. And then one day, so you know, I thought, wait a minute. Everybody's telling me I should write a book. I have all these great stories because I've worked with so many people. Um, I'm going to I'm going to write it. Then, you know, fuck her. Yeah. So I, yeah. I did. I did. And I and and I, I started to um, find out what the, the the best way of doing that was. So I got uh a book agent and uh i wrote a book proposal which is what most uh writers do and he submitted them to different uh companies and here i am doing an interview on it so um yeah that's my main thrust is to anybody that has dreams like it's really important there are always going to be people that are going to be trying to knock you down and you really the only yes you need are 
maybe those closest to you, although sometimes they're the worst offenders. <laughs> yes. If it's your family, right? <laughs> Parents or whatever. Um, it, the only yes you really need is the yes inside of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm it's... saying that because I'm living proof. It's, I mean, it, it's, it may sound corny or cliche, but it's, it's, if I have anything to pass on to people, it's like, if you have a dream, just stick with it, stick with it. You know, you can you get a lot of no's before you're going to get yes's. Sorry, I'm like chomping at the bit (laughs) (laughs) because first and foremost, I spent the majority of my childhood, teenage years, basically every, all these songs you have written are my hairbrush anthems. I have performed them in front of my mirror. I love that term. I mean, for decades, and I freely admit I have not stopped in my late 40s still performing them in front of my mirror. So you are absolutely a fabric of my household, even before I knew your story in its completion. I knew your songs, and they are such a part of me, and I was the prime MTV generation rock star girl, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. That really makes, that puts a smile on my face. They're just incredible and your book was so good and so fun because your stories are great they're you you tell them with such a pure just here they are but they're told in such a way that it just feels like we feel like it's just a natural it's just a natural progression to be there with you like it doesn't feel like you're you're not bragging you're not and you're all you also paint this picture of the you remind the reader of the good things about the music industry. And I think mm. as avid readers and interviewers, mm-hmm. we experience so much of people reminding us of the dirty parts of it. And it's not like you pretend they're not there, but your focus is the beautiful parts of it and the beauty of that era from MTV and the collaborations and the hookups and the fun parts of it you know the friendships yeah and I'm not apologetic about anything I try Mm -hmm. to be honest and just like hey that's those were the times that's who I was I was in my 20s and you know you know I have two grown-up sons now and you know when you're in your 20s it's like you want to do all those crazy and and fun things and um I feel okay writing about it now because I'm you know, I'm still the same person, but I've calmed down a lot. I mean, once I, you know, entered my thirties and I had kids and started setting up a house, like I would always move from home to home and the house I live in now, I've been in for 25 years. So you do calm down. And I do mention that, and I'm not trying to condone any of the lifestyle or things that I did, but kids are going to do what kids are going to do. Exactly. anyway. And I was mm-hmm. one of them. You were one of them. We all were, yes. you know, it's a rite of passage. For sure. And it, and you, yeah, it's not that you're condoning it or um, glamorizing it. It's just, right. it's who we were. And you just happened to be exposed to things with a lot of our heroes, whereas we were with just, you know, right. Fellow Few idiots. idiots yeah. Like yeah. Each other, you know? I also think it's either a turn on or shocking. I'm not sure which or both, but to, uh, to hear it from a woman's point of view, I mean, yes. When men do it, and we hear this a million times, if a man has a stable of women, it's a very glam, he's a playboy and it's a glamorous Mm -hmm. image. But people need to know that women also lead lives Mm -hmm. 
yep. and we've have we have our stories to tell too and it, and um that's why i said that the book is it's it's everything from you know things about songwriting how songs got written um the experiences each chapter as you know but it's more for the listener is about a different song i wrote with a different artist and the story if there was one and someone said to me uh why didn't you write about Lou Graham? Because Just Between You and Me is one of my favorite songs. I said, it's one of my favorite songs too. I said, and, and I kind of laughed and said, well, the reason I didn't write a chapter on him was there really was nothing to write about because he was so nice and it was so easy. We got together, we, wor we worked on the song and we remained friends, but it's sort of like, it would be a very short chapter, you know? So I tried to write about things that actually were interesting. And, uh, you know, I have a discography at the end of the book with a lot more songs than the songs I wrote about. So I really kind of picked the stories that I thought were quintessentially 80s. And this is my love letter to the 80s. Uh, so that people that read it either feel nostalgic and, and just, you know, say what you said, Heidi, about, um, you know, it takes you back in a nostalgic way. And then you remember all the, the soundtrack to your life and all the fun things you went through. So I'm, I'm hoping that's that nostalgic um, sort of connection happens to people that were there. And for those that weren't, that maybe weren't even born, you know, my hope is that they wish they had been there, you know. Oh, I mean, definitely. There's, there's that FOMO. There's 80s music that are like, were not born yet, but they've been exposed to it because of their parents. And it's one of their favorite genres because there were a lot of great songs during that time period of really well-crafted songs, maybe sometimes silly. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of artists I've read, like they're embarrassed for the songs they wrote during the eighties. I remember reading that with Hall and Oates. I thought that's ridiculous. Like your best work, you know, sure. The early stuff was vintage was great, but your eighties, like man eater and songs like yes. that, like, you know, you can't. Well, we even yeah. talk about it in the book, the fact that, Steven Tyler and Aerosmith with Ragdoll, that the lyrics, when you write them out, look and sound kind of silly. But when they're coming out of his mouth okay. with that band, you go, okay, yeah, I completely buy this and, and love this. Yeah, Steven, Steven has his own, I call it Steven Tyler lingo. Mm -hmm. yep. It's very sort of rhythmic, da 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 you know, he does that a lot. Um, and you just sort of sing along you don't really know like what he's singing sometimes but it doesn't matter because you're still singing it you know mm -hmm. yeah and one thing i thought was interesting or that kind of I, I was wondering about in the book because like you said it's it's kind of snapshots of different projects you've worked on and people you knew throughout your your life how did you kind of make it through the tough times because that's as an artist as somebody creating stuff that's always the hard part uh is staying so positive and the fact that you dedicated this book to people saying just do it don't you know how did you kind of make it through the the tough times um i think that's why i share about my childhood and growing up and you know sort of the dark passage i went through growing up which i write about briefly but enough that you get a picture of yeah. you know mm -hmm the why with me, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, so one day I woke up when I was a kid and realized, you know, I can fight back. I can fight back and I can protect myself and I can say, this is what I want. And that was sort of the, the little fire that started in my belly, you know, and the, the more, look, I'm from New York too. And New York people are known for being 
survivalists, you know, and survivors always have the best stories anyway. So um, I just, I left home very young. I was 15. And I, you know, I think like, God, if my kids had left when they were 15, I would cringe to think that because (laughs) they weren't as mature as me. Um, But that was my journey. And I just always seem to rise above adversity. So I think adversity is a gift. I think the, the, the all the good mo- moments, it's like eating a delicious plate of ice cream, but mm-hmm. there's no lesson in it. It's like if you look at Olympians, when they have a record that they have to set, they're able to jump past it because they have a bar that they, in their mind, psychologically, they have to pass that if they're going to be the next winner. So I always felt like whatever was happening to me, I wasn't going to give up and I was going to, if this didn't work, I was either going to go around the wall or I was going to go under the wall or over it or just kick it down um, and just keep going. And I also talk about in the book how change is such a healthy and good thing. It's also, it's hard because it's scary. It's like the fear of the unknown. We all fear things that we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, that old cliche of the devil, you know, is better than the one that you don't know. But I always sort of, plunged myself I talk about having these certain moments that were like quantum leaps where I would just leave some situation whether it was my band spider and moved out to California um, or just moments like that and I've always found that the changes were amazingly cathartic and forced me to just keep being a better with the ter- the new term like where it's already old is like the better version of yourself you know mm-hmm. yeah and I was when, always challenged. I f- felt challenges were exciting. I still do. I like to actually work under pressure too. Like if I know I have a song and it's not finished and I set a date that it's a Friday and I'm going to record it on Monday, it makes me finish it. If yeah. I just leave it open-ended and it's like, well, I'll get to it when I get to it, it could take weeks, months, you know? So when you're self-employed, you really, I've had, that's the other thing. It's like, I have never really had a boss so I've had to sort of be self-motivated and learn how to organize and even pay my taxes and all those things that keep me alive, you know. Um, it's just, I, I get bored easily too. I always have to have things to stimulate myself, so. And I feel like too, I there were several things, not as a songwriter, that I took away from the book. I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. It's especially the one that really stood out was the fact that you would always go to songwriting sessions with a couple ideas in your back pocket and would always say, well, you can finish those lyrics up later. And basically leaving something for the person you're collaborating with to put their own stamp on so they can feel, you know, they can feel about the song the way you do, that they are part of this process. How long did it take you to kind of kick that together and go like, oh, this is a good way to kind of get them involved to feel like, you know, it just heightened the chances that they might put it on the record. Well, I knew that if I if I had a songwriting session set up, I would clear my schedule for the next few days. Like I did that with Rod Stewart and I just hunkered down and I would actually like we didn't have the Internet back then. It would be so much easier now because now, like if I'm writing for someone, I might actually Google them and look at what they're doing. Look at uh, maybe if they're super famous, like I, back then, even I would look up, I would read anything I could about them. Um, obviously, information wasn't as accessible, but I did it anyway. It was just more work. But I would try and read magazines like, what are they doing? Are they going through a divorce? Are they getting married? What would be relatable to them? And then I would act as if I didn't know any of that. And I just <laughs> happened to come up with this title That's where perfect. they would go, oh, 
That's perfect. I love it. Yeah, let's work on that. So, you know, they're calling an outside person because they knew they need fresh ideas, fresh blood or whatever. And um, my name was getting around. So I was the go to I was the go to person during that time period. Um, now there's so much more writers and all that. And um, and often sometimes when you are really successful, people are almost too shy to to reach out to you and say, would you work with me? Because they figure they're going to get a no. Mm-hmm. you know so yeah no I think being prepared I'm just that kind of person I start packing for a trip like you know <laughs> two weeks before some people you know they throw everything in at the last minute but I try to keep organized because like I said I'm I don't have people sort of in charge I don't have a nine to five job or whatever so I wonder if having as much access to info as we have now would have actually been detrimental because you'd almost know too Social much. media is, is a very dangerous platform, I think. Yeah. Um, I personally hate using it, but I have to because it's part of it's what true. I do. And if I want people to buy my book, they have to know about it, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, it, it's just, there's too much information, like you said, and you don't know what's true and what's not. And it's easy to fabricate everything from what you're saying to how you look, to how you move, to... Um, and there's just too much of it too. It's like mm-hmm. everybody feels the need to to tell their circle of friends or whoever what they ate, or they'll take a photo. <laughs> or you know, the other thing that I really have a gripe about is um, there was a time. I'm going to sound like an old fart now, but <laughs> there was a time when you would take a photo, and you your family would take it, like your mom or your dad, and then and they weren't great pictures, but you loved them because it was a real moment, and yes. it was just you and your mm-hmm. family. I totally agree. Photos, you would frame them, you put them in an album, you cherish them, you put them in your wallet, and that was it. You didn't post them, and then the minute you post them, you have to understand it becomes exponential. That post is going to go to another site, and then it's going to spread, and then before you know it, there's like no privacy. Like, why isn't it good enough just to keep those photos for yourself? So sometimes, you know, I'll say to people, "Yes, you can have a photo with me, but please, like." just cherish it. Like, you know, I, I, I almost never say that because they look at me like I'm crazy. It's like, no, I'm going to post and show everybody in the world that I was with, you know, Mick Jagger or Holly Knight and isn't my life exciting. And I understand that, but it's also, it's, I kind of miss that oversaturation. I miss the privacy and I detest the oversaturation of everything. And I totally think it's because of social media. Yeah. yeah. I miss- Or de- devalues that one picture you do get it, it right the kind of the the glut of stuff just makes the the value of one of them Plus, so much lower there was nothing more joyful to me than going to one hour photo with my film <laughs> right and then yeah. getting waiting in, in anticipation and opening that gross sticky envelope Mm. And finding that there are 8,000 terrible pictures of your knee and there's just that one and then your head's cut off and then the one of your friend, you know, passed out and then you find that one, just like you said, it, there's so much joy in that discovery of it. And I, to this day, have photos that I'm like, why did I never throw these out that are just terrible? They would never make it to an album, never. Or social media. That's right. And then all of a sudden, you know, and as a performer, I mean, I'm behind the scenes. And one of the reasons I did that was because I'm not that comfortable 
doing all the other stuff that comes with celebrity, which is, um, I'm, I'm fine with interviews now, but even when I was younger, you know, I was always afraid I'd say the wrong thing. I always put my foot in my mouth or said something that offended someone. Um, not always, but you know, that's you, the you ones that I remember. Something. Right. right yeah. <laughs> even now in my book, it's going to offend someone. I mean, there's going to be someone that like is like a holy roller or, well, I didn't say that, but you know, someone, some group is going to read and, 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 and form an opinion. And it's like, it's just, uh, that's where I said before, you have to try and develop a thick skin and it's not always so easy. I mean, we're all human, you know, and nobody wants a crappy picture of themselves out there for everyone to see. It would happen with me and it would become the profile picture on Google mm -hmm. until I figured out if you open your own account and you can verify who you are, you can actually have control on that. But um, there's no control on it and it's just out of, it's, it's out of control, you know? Yeah, it is. Kind of the worst offender is my mother. She puts <laughs> the worst pictures of me ever. Ever. My and own then you mother. Have to whack them and say, why yes. do you think I look good in that? And it's like I have a double chin. Right. And, and my hair looks like I haven't brushed it in, in, in a month. Yes, exactly. Even though you did. That's the Right. Story. Yes, always. But one of the things in the there's so many things in the book that are so wonderful, but kind of going back to sort of that era of people didn't necessarily know you by your face or who you were until they met you. And I don't want to ruin this book for those who haven't read, but you have two moments in the book where some pretty iconic people put their foots in their mouths when they didn't realize you were who you were and then came back and ate full crow when they knew who you were, which was just fantastic. Especially when you look at who they were. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That it, I, it was like great. mega stars that right. I totally like was so excited to meet yes. and because I wasn't introduced properly, they kind of treated me like, um, and, and I understand it because, you know, you meet hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and when you're a big star. And so like, why should they be excited to meet you? So I was, uh, I had prefaced it by saying that the people that introduced me knew damn well that I wanted to be like, I wanted them to take me seriously and know that right. I was an established songwriter. Um, and initially they didn't, but then they corrected it. And then these people came back and he's like, that's so nice to meet you. Um, so yeah, it didn't happen a lot, but those were like two big ones for me. Great. Uh, if you need two big ones, those are good ones to go yeah, with. I mean, let's be honest. Yes. You know, we talked with Sam Hollander, the songwriter a couple months ago, and he said with his songwriting collaborations, when he sits down with somebody, if in the first 15, 20 minutes, they don't have some sort of spark that he he fakes a war injury <laughs> yeah. or gastrointestinal problems to just get out of that room and be like it's, it's not or you get the phone call from someone just like right. at dating right like yes, right. Exactly. you have an emergency home your house is on fire <laughs> right. you gotta go, gotta run, gotta go. <laughs> have you found that do you kind of have a similar practice or do you find that sometimes it takes a little bit longer to warm up and really connect with another artist in in that collaboration I think it's a bit of um, the second, the latter of what you said. I'm like, I'm too nice. I don't, I feel bad. <laughs> and I think it's like too obvious if I just say, oh, I got to go now or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have the goods. I actually had someone do that to me. I went to Nashville and I was with a really big writer. And um, I just, I hadn't quite a, I don't know what was going on that day, but he kept coming up with ideas. So like, I, I just, um, I hadn't warmed up to him and I wasn't contributing and he just ended the session. I was shot. This is after I was in the songwriting hall of fame. And I thought, 
wow, like what just happened there, you know? <laughs> I'm sure I would have warmed up. Mm -hmm. you, know? Yeah. Um, you know, as a rock writer anyway, going down to Nashville and writing, it's for me, it's it's a strange thing because they want to write rock music and I want to write country. So right. it's, it gets a little bit confusing. I talked to this uh, one incredibly prolific, he's a friend of mine now, um, Stephen Schwartz, and he writes for Broadway. Mm -hmm. He wrote Wicked. Yeah, he's done okay. Um, yeah, he's, he's done all right, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. too. something Biggest Broadway music. He's written a lot of musicals, but um, the music to them. Um, he wanted to write with me when he met, he was fanning out on me, I was fanning out on him. He wanted to write rock, but I wanted to get more involved in the Broadway thing. So we never really ended up working together, um, you know, for that reason. But what I don't like is like when the labels would send an artist to me and they got signed because they were like really exciting as a, an artist, but they didn't really have songs. Um, and so they weren't really, they didn't really know how to write songs. And so they would come to me and I was sort of, uh, you know, compared to like, if you were the world's greatest tennis player and you're hitting balls to someone, and if they're not hitting them back, you could play the worst game of your life. You know, if you're doing this collaboration thing and many times these young writers would come and I would end up just doing all the writing and they'd be on their phone texting. And I'd be like, does this sound like something you do? Because one of the things. I always try to do with an artist is um, write something either for them or with them that they would have written themselves on a good day so that it sounds like it's it's akin to that style or genre or something that they would do. So when I'm not getting that feedback from other writers, I, I just I kind of had to put a stop to it because um, it wasn't really good for me. And, and, and people don't always know this, but songwriters don't get paid to write until their song makes it on a record and becomes a hit. And now because records are all streamed and everything, it's really hard for new songwriters to carve out a living and everything. Um, so I'd like to see that change. I mean, we have a music union for uh, musicians where you go in, if you get hired, you get paid scale. So you know that day that you showed up, at least you get something. Right. Um, this is more for new artists. I'm doing okay. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's Don't more. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think that they need to get paid something. And so like going back to what I was talking about of the, the, the artists that they would send me, it's like, it was a waste of time for me, you know, um, because I wasn't really co-writing with them. I would also be too nice. Like if I didn't like something, I didn't have the heart to say no or whatever. And if I did start saying, well, just writing this song or whatever, um, I felt like I was hurting their feelings or whatever, and that's uncomfortable. So I try to write with people that are actually into writing and it has nothing to do with if they're famous, if they're unknown or whatever. I mean, I love working with, young artists I'm working with some now that and they're brilliant and they're untapped and that excites me if 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 you're going to collaborate it should be a collaboration you know yeah you know speaking of of the some of the stuff you've written and, and the hits you talk a lot about like you finish up a song and you and the person you're working with go all right I think that's good I think that's a nice one when you get to something like warrior or the best did you have any inclination on that afternoon? Like this is, this could really stick with folks or was it just the same? Yeah, this is, this is a good one. I like this. Well, when it came to the best and I do write about this, um, I had no idea that it was going to 
make the kind of impact that it did. I mean, it, it, it was a slow and steady rise. Here it is 40 years later than, or 35 years from when I wrote the tune. And I thought it was a good tune, but I just, my co-writer, Mike Chaffin and I, we wrote that together and we, we knew it was a good song, but I don't think we realized what we had. And, and it took a, a, a while it for it to get out there. I mean, it goes through this whole journey of who I wrote it initially for, yeah. who we wrote it for. Who I also had a crush on, by the way. There we go. Did you, I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that because yes. I spoke to one person that was like, you know, you were going on and on about this person and I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't get it. And it was a guy that said that. I said, well, I saw it, you know, and oh, yeah. everybody, everybody else I talked to was like, oh, my God, he was so hot back then. So yes. I actually wrote it for a guy that I really sort of had this fantasy about. Um, and I thought if I wrote him a really great song, then I would get to work with him more. And maybe I'd date him and run off to the Amalfi Coast with him or something. You got a pretty good day with him, yeah. though, I will say. <laughs> I did. I did. But he passed on the song. I actually... Being the naughty person I am, I uh, I thanked him in the acknowledgments for not cutting that. the song. I totally saw that. I loved that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he doesn't like it when I joke about that. If I bring it up, he doesn't want to hear about it. But because um, I still talk to him, but um, I start that chapter by saying the 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 best was not written for Tina Turner, but it was meant for her. You know, and then Bonnie Tyler cut it and. That didn't really make much noise. It, I think it was released only in Europe. And then Tina Turner heard the song. And then when she heard it, she called me up and said, I love this tune and I, I want to cut it, but I need you to rewrite parts. I need you to write a bridge. And I'd love for the key to go up at the end. Can you do that for me? I was like, sure. Um, I, and I'm, I said something in the book about it. I don't even know why I didn't think of her in the first place. But, you know, things always have the journey that they have. And so it was a slow and steady rise. And, you know, especially the last few years, I mean, she's had the HBO uh, documentary. She's had her musical, which is pretty yeah. much gone all over the world. I mean, it's in Amsterdam, London, Germany, all those places. Um, Australia. Dan Levy is like. Broadway. <laughs> yeah. The Levy is broke. And um, she also did the documentary for HBO. And then. Um, she got inducted into the Songwriting Hall of Fame, then she put out a special package of Foreign Affair, and she asked uh, me to write the liner notes. I wrote a 2000 liner note for that. And so, but this is her time, you know, this is, she's had, and it's, we're talking about many, many decades later. Yeah. So along with that, you know, and she wrote the forward to the book, by the way, to anybody that's listening, that was, that was an amazing honor that she did that. So. Yeah. Um, I've just watched it get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I tell this story in the book about, uh, I knew that it was a really big song when a plumber came over to my house and he had to fix some pipes in my studio and looked on the wall and I was like, what do you do? And I said, I'm a songwriter. And he's, oh, he kind of suspiciously is peering at these things. He says, Tina Turner, you know, Tina, do you know Tina Turner? I said, yes. He said, did you work with her? I said, yes. Did you write songs for her? Yes. Um, what did you write? And I said the best. And he kind of looked at me confused a little like, oh, don't know the song. I said, simply the best. And then he started singing it. <laughs> it was like this tooth, the big toothy smile is the plumbers and they're singing the best. And I thought, wow, I don't think I've ever met anyone that doesn't know the song. Yeah. But it didn't start that way. I actually thought it was a failure. It went to number 16 and I was spoiled. If it didn't <laughs> go to number five or further, 
I didn't consider it a hit. So I, I just, I just had no idea, but you can't plan those things. You know, those, that's like one of those gifts that comes from the, the collective mind of society. And for some reason it tapped into something that people really resonated with. I Am The Warrior, my crazy life writing the hits and rocking the MTV 80s by Holly Knight is available right now wherever you get your books. For more information, you can check out her website, hollyknight.com. Rock and Roll Grad School is produced by The Professional Production Company. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because your impassioned review is just as honest as us standing backstage waiting to come back on for the encore. For more information, you can check out our website, rockandrollgradschool.com. And like everyone else, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show is recorded and produced by Heidi Hagquist and myself from our world headquarters located on the second floor of the professional office building, centrally located downtown. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sauvet and Sandy Stone. Our willing executive producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Drive safe. May all your favorite bands stay together. Man.